And I also see the rest of my life as being something that, I, I, you've heard a lot of people say this, but I really believe it, like the best is yet to come for me in terms of learning a whole another craft, learning another level of, of being an artist and being a performer. So I've learned to, no matter what happens, man, it's an opportunity to make things, to, to springboard even further ahead. Phil Hendry is not retired, not even a little bit. He's putting out as much content as he ever has. The reason why I think he still fits on this show is because in the middle of his career, he had to make a giant change. And I want us all to start thinking about retirement as just that, a change. It doesn't mean you're now doing nothing. It means you're doing more of the things that make you happy. Now, in Phil's case, he had made it to the top of the radio industry. He had a nationally syndicated show. But at a certain point, it became less and less viable to do comedy on the radio. So he got creative. He started doing a daily podcast instead. And because his talent was versatile, he was able to pick up acting roles in movies and TV shows and animation. He was even able to retain ownership of his old radio material so he could repurpose it to fans who wanted to listen. Don't look now, but that adds up to multiple streams of income and you know we love that on this show. So the bottom line is that Phil Hendry is not retired but his story can still be inspirational for people who want to be. And not for nothing, but he's been a comedy hero of mine for more than 20 years. So it was a real honor to sit down and learn from the best. Do you ever wonder who you'll be and what you'll do after your career is over? Wouldn't it be nice to hear stories from people who figured it out, who are thriving in retirement? I'm Ryan Doolittle. After working with the Retire Sooner team for years and researching and writing about how they structure their lifestyles, I know there's more to be learned. So I'm going straight to the source and taking you with me. My mission with the Happiest Retirees podcast is to inspire 1 million families to find happiness in retirement. I wanna learn how to live an exceptional life from people who do it every day. Let's get started. Welcome to the Happiest Retirees Podcast. I want to say right off the bat, today's guest is not retired in any way. This is going to be a little different. His name is Phil Hendry. He's a legend. He was very nice to come on the show. And I think he still fits our theme because he had a big life change that is inspiring for people who do want to retire because in a way, retirement is just a life change. So he had a big career change and he had to really navigate that to find happiness and continue with financial success. So, Phil, thank you for coming on the show. Thanks, Ryan. Thank you. So, Phil, I, I've actually been dreaming of interviewing you for years. I felt today when I was kind of prepping, I thought, I've been prepping for this for a long time. So you're a radio legend, and your your shtick, for lack of a better word, was or is still you are the host, and then you are a fake guest who calls in, and the guest says something offensive. And then, in the at least in the old days when it was live radio, callers didn't know it was fake, and they would call in and be livid. And then you were all the characters kind of playing the the game. Yeah, that was that was it in a nutshell. That's perfectly what you just described there. I was the host, and then I would I had a phone, and uh, people would say, "What kind of processing are you using, Phil?" It's just a phone. <laughs> Just go yeah. through a phone box. Are you using, yeah. I, I know what you're doing. Using Dolby. Uh, no, no, dude. It's just a phone. Yeah. And I would talk. And, I, and I, it was a matter of just, I don't know how many professionals we have watching this, but it was a matter of when I was on mic, I was on mic. And when I went to the phone, I just potted the mic down. 
the phone pot was always open. So, you know, today we have Margaret Gray. Thank you very much, Phil. You know, my husband's cheating on me and um, this, that, and something else. But I found a, a lover over here at the Navy base. Uh, it's pretty low class. Uh, there's CBs. Yeah. But yes, once a week we meet in a motel. So she would say her thing, you know, and then people would be outraged and pissed off and call up and say, I'd like to talk to this lady. And, and that was, um, in essence, the conceit. Is that the right word? Of the I show. think so. Yeah, that was the conceit of the show. Yeah, and so your your history a bit, and and please correct me because you know yourself better than I know you. But so you started. I don't know, well, man. You, I don't know about that. But go ahead. <laughs> well, yeah. you a, a long, long time ago, you were kind of just finding your way. You were doing construction down in Florida, I think. When I when I was nineteen, I was eighteen, nineteen. I went to Florida with my buddies. Uh, they were building out Disney World. Disney World had just been completed in seventy one, and. We all did what kids do. You know, we got in the car, we drove down there. I got a job with this guy's father working as a framing carpenter. I was a cement finisher. I, and I knew that I wanted to get into radio. I, 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 my, my real goal was to be a writer. And I thought, hey, this is a great job to support myself while I write. That oh, okay. was the initial reason. And, uh, oh. and so I made a little tape on the advice of a friend of, of a friend. His name was, um, let me just mention him now, Billy Barber at WLOF in Orlando. He was the brother-in-law of one of my construction crewmates. And Bill says to me, well, what you do, Phil, is just take a, um, you know, cassette tape, read some news, read a couple of commercials, if you don't have an air check, which I didn't have, and then uh, hoof it around to radio stations. And I did. Wow. And uh, I thought, well, I'd get a gig in Eustace, or I'd get a gig in DeLand, or some far-flung hick suburb out there. In our... No, I got a job, actually, at a station in Winter Park, which was a main suburban enclave there in Orlando, at uh, this little station called WBJW at 1440 and there was also a station called WKIS at 740 so uh, one of my friends uh, Dick Van Patten Dick uh, uh, Dick Klein Dick Van Patten said, wow no no I was going to say Dick <laughs> Van Patten because he said something else no uh, he said you get a you get a kiss at you get a kiss at 740 you get a BJ at 1440 so anyway that was the the joke there so um, yeah 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 <laughs> yeah so I, I I I got this gig and immediately started doing overnights on the radio and I and I think because I listened to the radio so much as a kid loved it so much thought it was just abs- it was like one guy creating a movie that's what i thought it was one guy creating a whole mood and movie and even if he was just going hey you know it's uh, 75 degrees this that and something else and so i got that gig and uh, an overnight gig i was a disc jockey so i really didn't know all that much i don't know how much of this you want me to go into but i uh, want i want all this i'm loving well, this <laughs> well i mean I, I i wanted to be a radio personality but i didn't quite know how to do that and one of the reasons is because my instincts were so out there yeah. uh, that that working at a middle-of-the-road music station where we were playing Tony Orlando and Dawn and we were playing Helen Reddy and maybe occasionally the Almond Brothers, if it was an acceptable middle-of-the-road type Almond Brothers song, you know, <laughs> I would get kind of stepped on if I tried to do any kind of really crazy stuff. So I kind of floated through radio like that, this frustrated disc jockey thing. Again... My instincts are so improvisational and, and crazy that I think I thought there was something wrong with me, maybe. You know, you know when, you, when you grow up in the household that I grew up in, and you're already having self-doubts about your quality as a human being because the adults are all just really psycho, uh, and then you have these instincts of character voices and improvisational weirdness that goes well beyond the, the bounds of human, <laughs> human taste, I thought there was something wrong with me. 
to be honest with you. I, th I, th yeah. I thought I needed to walk down the middle of the road a little bit better than I was. And I was like, you know, come on, Phil, you can do this. You can do this the way other guys do it. Well, no, I couldn't. It, it's, it's like this. I can't do stand-up, for instance, stand-up comedy. I can't. All I would do is I got on that stage would be doing a whole bunch of improvisational character bits and shit that, that may or may not work. Believe me, you know, because I've tried it, you know. Yeah. So anyway, I did that. And, and long story short, Rush Limbaugh got on the air. Okay. And I heard what Limbaugh was doing. He was doing, in those days, he was doing a lot of humor. He was a right winger. Really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He oh. was doing like the homeless person report. And he oh, had wow. Clarence Frogman Thomas singing. And he did the EIB network. He had this environment that he created, the excellence in broadcasting. Well, there's no such thing. But he, yeah. and I am the authority. And I just thought the character that he portrayed and the, sort of this uh, marvelous edifice that he constructed, audio edifice, was great. I thought yeah. it was, man, and people will say to me, oh, you're a Rush Limbaugh fan? I said, as an artist, yeah. uh, his politics, no. And the average person doesn't get it, you know. I don't even know if the average broadcaster got it, but I did admire him as an artist at that point. He got rid of all that and just went straight right-wing commentary, which I found, frankly, very boring. But EIB, I thought, was hysterical. Yeah, and I yeah. realized something had changed, that talk radio was beginning to open up. And it was opening up to personality-driven radio. Because up to that point, talk radio was news talk. So I was like, oh. aha, you know, this like is this, my... This seems like something I would be I, good at. I think, yeah. because there's no music. I don't have to play any goddamn music. I don't have to pretend like I like that music. I like the music, not 50 times a day listening <laughs> right. to Touch of Grey by Grateful Dead, you know? Yeah. So I... I got this gig at KFI on weekends working for in George In Los Angeles, Oliver. right? In LA, yeah. I got the weekend shot. But I was doing interviews and I was just sort of doing this half-assed interview show. So I still quite wasn't quite breaking out of the mold. Um, I was still kind of trying to, I know what I'll do. I'll do talk radio, but I'll still walk right down the middle of the road and see if that works, you know? Well, no, man. The only thing that's going to work is if when you open up and you just go ahead and give it to them, man, everything you got. And you just go ahead and roll the dice. And if they like it, they like it. If they don't, they don't. At least you can say you rolled the damn dice, you know. And now you can move on to your next career, which is servicing vending machines or whatever the hell I was supposed to do, you know. Um, so I got fired from that job. So one day... I, I don't think anyone in radio has ever not been... Being fired is just part of working in radio. Right? Yes. Yeah. Two yeah. kinds... Of, they say two kinds of people, those that have been fired and those that are about to get fired. Right. You know, exactly. Radio, yeah. yeah. So that's when I went into a studio here in Redlands, California for a radio station, KCAL. There's a KCAL TV station in LA, but there's also a, a rock station that I was doing weekends at. And I made this tape. And on the tape, I just did a lot of... I did this character named Howard Powell... And I just went nuts on this tape, uh, doing all kinds of character voices and uh, doing the show as if these people were real, as if some of them hosted the show. And I put this together in a three or four minute tape. And I sent this to every place I could think of. I knew I was onto something when the great Diane Rem, who used to program WCAU in Philadelphia, sent me back a note saying, some of the funniest stuff I've ever heard, Phil, I can't use it. I can't, can't, can't oh. use it. Because she had this straight-laced, middle-of-the-road talk station where everybody was like, now let's get into city politics, you know, this kind of thing. Right. Nobody was really looking at radio, talk radio, I should say, in those days as a full-blown, personality-driven format. The Loop in Chicago had started doing that with uh, Steve Dahl. And WIOD in Miami was beginning to kind of wade into that uh, with Neil Rogers. We're with talking Neil Rogers, right, yeah. Yeah. We're, yeah. we're talking the early 90s now. 
Okay. But nobody was really doing personality-driven talk radio. So I sent this tape around. I thought I was going to have to go to Wildwood, New York. I thought I'd be hired in northern Canada. I don't know where I was going to. But I was willing to go anywhere. Yeah. Um, I was willing. I'll go wherever anybody wants to put this on the air. I got hired at a little station in Ventura, KVEN. Wow. And this great program director named Rich Galano and uh, a consultant by the name of, uh, oh, God, Bill. I'm sorry, Bill. Bill McCauley. Bill McCaffrey. Bill McCaffrey's <laughs> a football player. My, my good friend, Terry Ryder, was a, a protege of his. But in any event, I went up there with this goofball show. And Rich Galano, my program director, said to me, you know, this is a small market, Phil. There's only 600,000 people here. You're not going to get a lot of phone calls. So just prep your show as if you're not going to get one phone call. That gave me a lot of permission to do a lot of stuff, you know. And it just so happened, the buildup to the Gulf War was happening called Desert Shield. The Gulf War began in 91 when we invaded, you know, Kuwait. This, yeah. was, Daddy, this was Daddy Bush, a whole other Iraq Daddy war. Daddy Bush, yeah. Yeah. And so they were ready-made. It wasn't, we weren't at war yet, so it wouldn't be tasteless to do shtick about the buildup to the war. And that was the, I think that was my saving grace, to be honest with you, because I got on the air one day after listening to a, a, a guy reading two parts of an interview with Saddam Hussein. It was on KABC radio. He was reading both parts. Okay. And this is what Saddam Hussein said. So I, I started to do this uh, Iraqi voice, you know, it's uh, perhaps uh, today you're not supposed to do because uh, it's uh, considered, uh, what, uh, usurping? Uh, I don't know. But anyway, I did it. And uh, yeah, this is uh, Raj Fanin. Welcome to KVN. Phil Henry is not here, but uh, I'm filling in. I want to tell you something about uh, Saddam Hussein. What a good guy he can be, you know. We're... So that's yeah. what I was doing. And the lines lit up and my, my engineer was waving at me, or my uh, producer was waving at me saying, we got a line full of calls. What do you want to do? You know, They want to talk to the fake yeah. guy. <laughs> they want to talk to this guy. I yeah. said, Put them through, man. Put them through. <laughs> and so that's where it began, you know. And then I, I started hitting the air with different characters. Because Margaret Gray is probably the, the oldest other than Raj character. And that was a female. And I had a call from a, because uh, we live around Navy bases uh, here. Uh, we have Point Magoo here. We have Port, Port Wainimi, we, the, the CB station. Yeah. And this is a young guy says, yeah, I'm, I'm here from Missouri. And I'm, uh, you know, just looking around. And it's really nice being here in California. And, and I hope that, you know, I meet somebody because I'm kind of lonesome. Well, I, you know, good luck to you, pal. Okay, thank you. So then I came back with my character. Let's go to the, another call. Hi, Margaret, you're on the air. Yes, uh, Phil, the, the last man you had on the air, oh my God, he was devastating. Do you don't have a number on him, do you? Or anything that... <laughs> <laughs> she was interested. <laughs> she was really interested, yeah. And, and, and that voice was significant because it was an upper chest voice. It was not, a lot of guys do a falsetto to do females. We, we talk like this, like Monty Python, you know. Right. Excuse me. That it? Yeah, Monty, yeah, that reminds yeah, me but, of Monty. But that's not really a realistic female voice. A realistic female voice is, you have to go in the upper chest up here and, and affect, you know. Um, and so, so much of this woman, this character was based on my, my mother's like there in my head. It just started feeding my mom through this character. <laughs> yeah, <know>? yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's amazing how easily you can affect a female voice if you know the character, not just so how to do a high pitched voice, but what's the character saying, you know? And, uh, exactly. And I read, I just a uh, quick sidebar. I read the biography you wrote about fake Margaret Gray. Yeah. And it's just, it's breathtaking how well you know this fake character. I mean, you yeah, know well, her better than I think I know me. Yeah. But I, and the great writing teacher, um, Robert McKee said that about Humphrey Bogart in Casablanca. He said, I know Rick better than I know myself. He's <laughs> always know Rick. Myself. 
You're like, I'm kind of iffy. He's always who he is. You know what I mean? I love it. Oh, oh <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. I can dig. I, I see what you yeah. Well, yeah. Here's the thing. In acting, they always tell you, at least I learned in the acting classes that I took, write out the biography of your character. And I'm not that disciplined. So I just <laughs> perform the character and the biography begins to come to me. Yeah. I can do, I can do, I can do about two minutes of a character and I've got a pretty good biographical sketch of that character, where they're from, you know, are they married? Are they not? Do they have kids? Do they not? This kind of thing. So Margaret, all of a sudden she's so, you know, out there. She was my mom. So I'm a, I live in Santa Monica, which is not the most high, Santa Monica is a beautiful city, but it's not what I call, it's not Malibu. No, no, But, no. you know, yeah. I live there with my husband, Frank, and I'm, I've got my ear to the ground out there. She's kind of a gadfly. Yeah, so that's how these characters are built. And the, the key was deliver them as realistically enough so that callers will want to talk to them. Make sure the topic is very organic. Make sure the topic is, what's the word, Re reactive. And de deliver it as real realistically as possible. So we found... Over the course of many years, I would say this, the show was at its very, at, as totally at its strongest the last year I was doing the show at KFI, 2005, 2006, last two years. We had it down, man. Yeah. We knew topic. We knew what would resonate with the audience and what got calls, realistic calls, you know. Yeah. I, with the, there's actually, I, it may, I can't remember the exact year, maybe 2004 or something, but you had a bit where... Margaret was being interviewed and her husband, her husband, Frank Gray was in the back and she wanted a drink and he, you could hear him and, and you're really good at throwing the audio. So it's like lower, it's you know, ambience. Yeah. 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 You you pull the microphone, pull the phone away and closer. Yeah. yeah. So in the background, I can just kind of hear him say, where's the ice? And then you hear Margaret say where it's been for 30 years. <laughs> and I'm like, I was like listening to my parents have a conversation, you know, and I, and right. I, I wrote into you asking about th that specific comedy choice and you answered it on the air and it was just oh. a great day for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, cool. I'm glad that I, I'm glad that I answered that. I, um, yeah. Yeah. That that's ambiance does a lot in terms of the character voice itself too. You can say, you can simply say, Oh, Oh, the, uh, the, this, the, the bottled water guy is here. Put it over there. And this, this is Sid. How are you doing, Sid? I'm, I'm, I'm great. And if you got him, he sounds like a real guy back there, you know, this yeah. Sid putting a bottle of water in. And it's funny how many of those characters I do are sound really dumb, you know, like Jay Sanders. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Subcommander Gleason, what do you think? I'll, I'll do it right away. Okay, good job. You know, he's just it, it, an yeah. idiot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, <laughs> the, all kinds of wonderful little uh, things you can do, like ambient changes, um, tells you they're in a different place. And all you have to do is move the phone this, you know, like from here to here. And it sounds like, well, we're not here anymore. We're in the car with Frank. Frank's over there in the car. Or Frank's exactly. out, the, out on the driveway or something like that, you know. And you're um, doing a whole sound design just live by yourself. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. And it's, a, it's an instinct. And, and it's probably one I had. I don't know if I was born with it, but it's an instinct, man. It's an instinct. What's going to work? I, I was so in love with radio as a kid. I mean, listening to it and analyzing it and studying it and listening to it at night and the audio part of it, I love TV. I watch TV all the time. I mean, and I love the actors and I loved all the characters that I saw. But radio was a place that you could control the whole universe. One guy. And maybe, yeah. that's, maybe that's it. You know, maybe it's just that Phil Henry, I cannot be bothered with other actors. All of you guys, just get out of my life. Me, I'm the one guy. But uh, how do I take that and translate that into a, a bigger and wider audience? So 
I don't know. I do my podcast. Yeah. Obviously, we don't do the radio show anymore because, you know, radio doesn't really exist anymore, man. Not the, in the sense that we used to do it, you know. That's why I thought you could fit on this show even though you're not retired because mm -hmm. it – and I don't remember the year, but – so you made it – you were getting into it, but you made it to – KFI, and then you got you went national. I think it's, it's Premier Radio. Yeah, I went national with Premier Radio from '99 through 2006. I had interest from uh, casting directors and some people producing TV shows, so I started to kind of drift into the acting thing. I had done a couple of shows while I was on the air at uh, Premier. We had done a show called Teachers for NBC. I had produced two pilots, and Phil now at came, the Gate, I think, was one. Phil at the Gate was one, and then another one called Phil Henry it was an animated show for Steve Levitan. And now there were a lot of people auditioning me for different shows. And I thought, well, this is, I'll do this. And then I made the biggest mistake of my life. And you know what? I shouldn't call them mistakes. They're all, you know, dude, I wouldn't be who I am today. I wouldn't be headed toward the good things that I'm headed toward if I didn't make these mistakes, I don't think. But I signed another radio deal. With yeah. TRN? With, uh, right? Yeah, with TRN. Okay. So I had this momentum and I got hired on a bunch of jobs. I got hired uh, to do some recurring stuff on a show called The Unit. Yeah, um, that was a uh, David Mamet show, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I worked for David Mamet. He came in and directed one of the episodes. I'm like, this wow. is David. He goes, hi, I'm Dave. How you doing? <laughs> hey, uh, so uh, what do you see a character? What do you, what do you see a character in this scene? Well, I don't know. I think he's, okay, he's sitting? Yeah, okay, have him sit down over there. That's great. Now, uh, you know, this is the great playwright David Mamet. He sounds like out of a pool hall, you know. And he said <laughs> right. to me, and I wrote some extra stuff for you, Phil. Here's a whole, he wrote a whole scene for me. Wow. Um, yeah. In fact, when I was leaving that day, one of the uh, PAs came up to me and said, do you want the script? Because this is, he wrote this scene for you. Do you want to, I said, yeah, let me have it. You know? And uh, I, yeah. I, I didn't have him autograph it. That would have been a little too weird, but. Uh, Did uh, you ever see him drinking a cup of coffee and say, put the coffee down, coffee's for closers? <laughs> Should have been. <laughs> That's funny, man, because I'm trying to learn a model. I'm trying to learn a scene from that very play. I'm trying from, to. Uh, it's uh, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm trying to memorize this scene because I want to use it for an audition for a theater group in, in L.A. But uh, So what's the character that I've chosen? Jack Lemmon's character, Levine. And Mamet writes, like, this is how Mamet writes. I, I, no, 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 no. He, hold on, hold on for a second, because I'm going to tell you right now, I was getting ready to do the Dutch. No, no, wait, 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 wait. All of this, how the hell, you know. So That's I'm, all I've been in working. the script? It's all in the that? script, brother. It's in the wow. script, man. Yeah. Okay. So I've been working on that for about five years. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I did all that. And, and then I was um, reading for things. And then I signed. Then this radio opportunity came up that uh, the manager I had at the time knew the people that ran that network. And I said, you know what? I love acting, but I got to sit on my ass between gigs waiting for the phone to ring from your agent, you know? And if I'd been more disciplined, I probably would have gone out and took an acting class or read a lot of plays. I don't know what. But I wanted to create. And this radio gig came up. So I took this gig. And I thought I would do this. I thought I would have humor, but also do serious political commentary. I was going to kind of evolve whatever it was Phil Hendry was trying to do. Yeah. Which didn't last very long. I eventually just went back to doing straight character voices. But this gig was so horrible. I didn't like it because I had it for three years and they had an option for another three and they wouldn't let me out of the deal. So I basically spent six years in hell, you know. Oh, um, yeah. But that, you know, you live and you learn, man. Uh, and and I, I was able to get a little bit of, I got some good shows out of it. And Definitely. I also, and I also, the other thing, Ryan, is I also realized what I was I really wanted to do. I can't keep, you know, beating this horse to death, you know. Uh, by the end of this, this gig, 
there was just no money left in radio. I mean, there was no real syndicator left. It was all people, I don't know what they were doing, man. Specialty acts, right-wing stuff. Yeah. Michael Savage had taken off. Laura Ingraham was taking off. This kind of radio I didn't want to have anything to do with. Not that I, I'm not commenting now politically. I'm just saying I'd want to do a talk show. Yeah. I want to do a performance. So. Yeah. I remember I follow, or you have, and we'll get into this. One of your, I, I'd call it a stream of income now is you have a backstage pass where you can Yeah. Watch. We have our website. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in fact, is it, you want to say the website? PhilHendryShow.com. Phil yeah. Okay. Phil, PhilHendryShow.com. Mm-hmm. And I was, uh, I had a backstage pass, and so I, I got to watch you prep for your show. And, mm-hmm. and I do remember during that time, you seemed, <laughs> you seemed a lot angrier than you do now. <laughs> for sure, man. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I was under a lot of pressure. And, but what I was able to do is I got the rights to my show from iHeartRadio. Back then it was Clear Channel. Yeah, okay. And I got rights to a lot of my material. So I was able to take all of those shows that I had from Cox in Miami, my Miami show at WIOD, and put that on my website. And then I decided, well, I'll produce some new shows that will be podcasts, because that's what's going on now. Yeah. And I'll just let my, my instincts run wild in terms of character and see where it takes me. And that became the Daily Phil Henry Show podcast, which uh, exists to this day, although it's, it's evolved and changed over time. And I've had people tell me they think it's funnier than the stuff I did when I was on the radio. Oh, that's um, great. I, I don't know whether I agree with that 100%, but I think there are times when, yeah, I, I laugh my ass off more than I did. Because when I was listening <laughs> to my radio show back, I'd be going, oh, I please hope, I hope people call. Please call. Please, let's yeah. get some call, you know. Where it's just kind of letting it go uh, felt better. In, in terms of the career change you made that, I mean, it, from where I'm sitting, you look happy. You say you, you've got financially, you're doing great. I'm wealthy beyond all measure, and <laughs> right. uh, it's, yeah, no, I, yeah, well, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm living, yeah. And, and you've got, what our our flagship podcast is called Retire Sooner, so our boss, essentially, Wes Moss, is always saying you need multiple streams of income as you enter certain stages, but you seem like you do, because you have the podcast ad revenue, or maybe also the the podcast one distribution deal, I, I don't really know how. Well, how I, I, no, that's, that's, there's... My subscription base is the uh, the money, the oh. ad revenue. The ad revenue from podcast one, I'd say, is a kind of the, uh, you know, an added. It's I, I wouldn't say it's the main revenue stream from the podcast, but it's an added amount of money. And then, like I say, voiceover and uh, camera acting and residuals from all of that stuff. From the and you, yeah. uh, as far you've done King of the Hill, you did Modern oh, yeah. Family. You were the voice of intelligence on Team America, which is the South Park guys. Yeah, I just got done doing a, a video game called Crash Bandicoot. Oh. You know, uh, so yeah, I'm on video games now. Um, wow, and there's a, okay. There's, there's a cat that I uh, used to work with, Steve Downs. Steve was, Steve and I worked at K-West. He's the voice on, he does a, a, a main voice on Halo. Oh, He's really? He's like the, the chief or something on Halo, Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I had no idea, man. Um, I think Steve's with his wife. He and his wife live in Chicago. He was our program director and afternoon drive guy at K-West, but now he's... Uh, so games, video games, yeah, it's heavy. And uh, Yeah. And I think a lot of people would remember you from This Is 40 because Paul so, Rudd slams his bike into your car and then... Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. But I mean, uh, King of the Hill, Futurama, The Replacements, uh, The 7D, 
I'd have to actually pull, let me just pull up my IMDb. No, uh, your resume is you know, so long. We don't even have yeah, yeah, I just, time. I don't have the time right now. But I, yeah. we have a we have a lot of listeners in Atlanta. That's where, um, like I mentioned, our Wes Moss. He has a he actually has a radio show on WSB. I don't know if you ever worked for them. I was on WSB. I was in WSB in 1992. Really? I did, yeah, I did uh, 10 to 2 at night, and I did. Wow. Uh, and then on Saturday night, I had a Saturday night show. It was the Steve Warnell show. That was an early carnation, incarnation, I should say, of Steve Bozell. So on Saturday night, WSB with Steve Warnell. Uh, how you doing? It's Steve Warnell, and uh, the Daytona 500 is coming up, the greatest spectacle in race. I did four hours of this bullcrap. Four hours as the character? As this character, in character. Oh, my God. In character, yeah. <laughs> wow. I had a blast. And I'd get off the air, and I'd go to my favorite bar in Buckhead called the Churchill Downs <laughs> and uh, just get uh, hammered and everybody up there, you know. Had a blast. Had a good time in Atlanta. Okay, so before before you left radio and you and you sort of plunged into podcasting and and more acting voice work and did you have like a plan and a purpose? I did uh, not. I I just okay. there was a lot happening in my life at that time. I had a marriage that was going south. That was taking an awful lot of an emotional energy. But what I thought I would do, what I really I was on a show called Teachers. It was on NBC. And we had six episodes in the spring, and I worked with great people like Matt Winston was there, and Kali Roca was there, and Sarah, Sarah Alexander, and uh, just really great actors. Justin, and, uh, or someone that from The Hangover, right? The ju oh, Justin. Justin Bartha. Justin Bartha. Yeah. And uh, yeah. we had uh, Matt Tarsus, who was our producer. And I was kind of hoping, as everybody does, that it would get picked up for another season. And yeah. uh, by that point, I, I think I was ready to just leave radio, man. I, I, I was burning out because doing that kind of a show and I'd been doing it for 16 years, you have to literally take a blank canvas every day and paint some kind of a masterpiece. What, what kind of a character are you going to do today, Phil? And how many people are going to call up and be fooled by it? You know? Yeah. It was getting kind of crazy. So all I knew was that I think I'll segue into acting, camera acting and see where it goes from there. And that's exactly what I did do. I, I, like I said, I got this job recurring on the unit. I got hired for a couple of pilots. One really fun pilot, it was a, a, based on talk radio. I, I played a Rush Limbaugh character named Rude Carnahan, uh, who actually broke into doing character voices on the air. And that show uh, was, that, uh, that pilot got produced. Um, and, I, and we thought for a while that was going to get picked up because CBS um, had been evidencing some interest in that. But, you know, you learn very rapidly what that whole ball game is about, man. So while I was doing some acting jobs and I was uh, doing some voiceover work, I wasn't working enough for my taste. So I got back into this, uh, I signed this other radio deal that was really a revenue sharing deal that went three years longer than I thought it would. And it takes a lot of the juice out of what you're trying to do elsewhere, especially yeah. in the acting field. Although I, I, I still was doing pilots. I did one with Justin Berbiglia, who was a very funny comedian, had a pilot with the CBS. I played his dad. Um, oh, and, and, wait, is, yeah. is he related to Mike Berbiglia? Or? I'm sorry, M Mike Berbiglia. Did oh, I say Mike Justin? Berbiglia. Mike Berbiglia, yeah, it was Mike. Okay. Sorry, Mike. Um, <laughs> but I'm, I'm Justin Henry. Um, so that, that was a lot of fun. But you're also doing this radio show, and you're trying to work out how you can do a radio show in an ever-constricting atmosphere. Yeah. The money ain't there anymore. The now I'm dealing with a syndicator out of town. I'm dealing with a screener that's remote. 
I can't just walk into the next room and give instructions to my screener on how, no, they felt they knew how to screen my show. We feel like we know exactly how to screen your show, Phil. Well, no, you don't. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. Um, so I was fighting that bloody battle. And I, I eventually morphed, when that contract ended, I morphed everything into a podcast, everything into a, uh, at first, a three-hour. You remember the old app TuneIn? Yeah. There was, yeah. So at first we were doing a three-hour TuneIn show. Oh. Yeah. And that was nuts. Lots of work. And I realized I don't have to work that hard, man, because people aren't listening to this content the way they used to. They're not listening to it like they did on the radio. They're listening, they're downloading it and listening at their leisure. And the attention span doesn't need to be three hours, you know? Yeah. So I began to cut it down in size. We just put it on our platform and just uh, let people download it from there. We got uh, a great partner in Sideshow Network. And then we segued over to Podcast One in terms of the revenue platform, you know, any advertising pl uh, revenue and kind of learned the ropes that way, man, all the while still pursuing uh, whatever kind of uh, voiceover and camera work I could do. I mean, I did um, that. Those were the days when I was still doing uh, Futurama was still, I think, or uh, King of the Hill was still being produced. And then I got like camera gigs on shows like New Girl and I got, right. a, I got a, a, an episode of Modern Family. And, and feeling, Young Sheldon, maybe? Young yeah, Sheldon. Young Sheldon did a voiceover in Young Sheldon and kind of feeling my way with that. But, you know, if you're going to be an actor, you got to really, it's sooner or later, really devote serious time to it uh, to become a good actor and not just be the guy they hired to play the disc jockey, you know? <laughs> right. Or the guy they hired to play the general manager of the radio station, that kind of thing. So That, that only takes you so far. And yeah. Exactly, well, yeah. You seem, and I, and I had this sense because I follow you on social media, but you, you seem happy and like how have you pulled that off <laughs> i don't know because i'm miserable and i <laughs> i, I want to kill every day i don't know uh, well i'm a nishran buddhist man i might as well just kind of throw oh. it out there I, i'm not trying to convert anybody please but i early on in in my life i was interested in spiritual things and um I, I did TM, which I wouldn't call TM is not really spiritual. TM is about unstressing the nervous system, transcendental meditation. Transcendental <clears throat> meditation. Meditation, yeah. But I got into Nishran Buddhism, um, and basically, I'll just say this. The purpose of religion is to be happy. Nobody had ever said that to me before. You know, they said, what's the purpose of religion? To be happy? Okay, I'll take that. That sounds pretty good, you know. Who doesn't want and, that? Yeah. You know, so... Uh, <laughs> What I do with my life now is I see everything as an opportunity. I see everything, even if it's a mistake, I see it as, you know, a stepping stone to the right thing to do. Everything that happens to me is, is a forward progress, you know? And, and you just don't ever give up on anything, man. You just don't ever, ever give up on anything because you will conquer. It's when you stop, that's when you start to slide back and you don't, you don't win. And, and it's proved out in my life, you know. You know, in the middle of this pandemic, <clears throat> I met a woman who I'd already met in Florida in 1994, Jackie Bales, who's now my girlfriend, you know, and uh, she's one of the better things that's happened in my life in the middle of the whole world shutting down, you know. Wow. And I've also been able to uh, make more and better professional contacts with people, you know, and I've seen my business flourish. Gosh, I live 100 yards from the ocean. I guess that can't possibly that be that bad, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, and so I, and I also see the rest of my life as being something that I, you've heard a lot of people say this, but I really believe it. Like the best is yet to come for me in terms of learning a whole nother craft, learning another level of, of being an artist and being a performer. Um, so wow. I, I've learned to, no matter what happens, man, it's, it's an opportunity to make things to, to springboard even further uh, ahead. You know? So you all, in a way you, you, 
uh, instead of slowing down, you you've found more. It feels like. yeah, yeah, I have, yeah. and I've and I've been able to. I would say the biggest difference is that I there's a guy that I follow on uh, Instagram. This poor boy was born with a very terribly disfigured face. His name's Jono. Do you follow this kid at all? He's yeah. on Instagram. He's a he's a motivational speaker. Oh wow! He goes out into public. He, he was born with this 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 face that's pretty badly disfigured. It's not horrible, but he said something that kind of resonated with me. He said, don't say anything to yourself that you wouldn't say to a five-year-old. You know, if you're going to put yourself down, would you say that to like a five-year-old kid? Would you say that to your five-year-old self? How would you address yourself as a kid? You know? Yeah. And as as, uh, sort of uh, touchy-feely and namby-pamby as that sounds, and probably totally out of character for a guy like Phil Henry... Uh, that that means something to me because what I did through most of my life is just wag the finger at myself and say, here's another screw up. Look at how you exactly. messed this one up, man. Look at how you messed that one up. Look at all this opportunity. You didn't do this. Didn't do that. Now I just tell myself, all right, man, well, let's try it better next time. You know, yeah. actually there's this we can learn from that. And there's that we can learn from that. And uh, I was just talking to Jackie. She was telling me she's selling her house and she said, my buyer is cool. But the person buying his house, their financing fell through. And I go, shit. She goes, but you know what? It bought me a week. Because the financing is going to come through, but it's going to be seven days. And that whole week is going to give me time to do more here and do more there and do more there. So I'm thinking, yeah, what apparently was a really horrible sounding thing, financing falling through. Maybe your house isn't going to sell. Maybe you're, you know. Actually, it is going to come through. It's going to be a week later, and it's going to give her more time to do the shit that she, she needs to mm-hmm. do with the house. And that, that's how I look at things, man. You know, what can I take from this and make it bigger? So it's um, like a glass half full sort of. Well, outlook. but I don't, I don't look at it that way. You know, I just, I, all, I, I'm, all I'm saying is, um, I don't know, man. I, I, I haven't stopped doing anything that I like to do. And I haven't stopped pursuing these dreams. Although the dream is not the right. It's never been a dream to be an actor. It's been my it's been my intent because that's what I've been doing for most of my life on the radio and doing what I've been doing. So, yeah, uh, to work uh, more steadily on camera, to work more steadily in theater, to actually make a living, the majority of my living doing that would be, I'd say, uh, my goal for the next sixty years. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and then see <laughs> see what happens see what happens after that. You know. You know, it's it's funny when you say how hard you are on yourself. I find that when I, I think about how I am with myself, I would never treat someone else that way. You know, I'm far meaner. For sure. That's the yeah. whole thing. Yeah, that's the yeah. whole thing. That's the, I think that's what his point was. You know, you're not going to say that to a, a kid. Why would you say it to yourself, you know? Yeah. So I spent most of my life doing that, I think, you know, because of, you know, our background, man. I don't know what kind of home life you come from, but I came from a home that was extremely dysfunctional. And, and I, that's a good word, isn't it? Dysfunctional. So yeah. you don't have to say violent. <laughs> no. Yeah. You don't right. have to say it things, being th- th- <laughs> yeah. things being thrown through doors and shit. Yeah. Um, and I came out of that experience with a really low opinion of myself. Not, I wouldn't say, I didn't think, I didn't think I was a bad person. I just didn't have a whole lot of uh, self-esteem, you know? Yeah. And you have to scrap and fight and battle for that in life, you know? Um, and along the way you meet people uh, who help you. So, you know, it's, I heard someone say, I don't, I wish I could remember who said it, but they said all the wrong people hate themselves. So you see these, these guys who really behave terribly, they look in the mirror and think, I, you know, I'm pretty awesome. And then I'm a pretty cool guy. Yeah. 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 And then these really nice people who are so hard on themselves. Yeah. It's, it's a, a, 
It's that kind of what they have. Psychopaths, of course, have no conscience about things, so they're naturally going to go, yeah, I'm, I'm okay. Yeah. Right. Like just, uh, Bobby Dooley. Yeah, she's very, <laughs> yeah, she, Bobby's very sociopathic. Just, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Your son's just spray painted swastikas on a church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, what's... You know, it's like, don't yeah. you get it, man? Yeah, you know. <laughs> she and we're, she's the president of the homeowners association. The homeowners right? association. Yeah, yeah. And the, the the scary thing about people like that is they have a certain charm. You know, people are attracted know. to their confidence. They're they're attracted to their, you know, you're an original thinker. I like that. Sure, you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and Bobby Dooley is based a little bit of hers based on my mom. Mm-hmm, you know, because my mother could be looking at you. My mom could be looking at me, and I could be telling her, Mom, I've just been nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. And she'd be looking at my shoes. Mm-hmm. Is that, you're wearing that to the thing? Yeah, that kind of shit, you know? Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> but, but here's the cool thing about all of that. I love my mother. I love my father. I forgive them both. They had hard lives. They came up at a time when life was hard, man. You know, they were both teenagers at a time when the world was spiraling into another world war. There was the Depression. My mother's home life was terrible. My dad was adopted. They were not good parents. But you know what, man? I love them. I forgive them. And, and I understand them. And I, and I still think of them as my friends. And I appreciate the, the, the stuff that they did do. You know, my father picked up and brought the family to California. That alone, he should be my hero for. You know, <laughs> right. I was raised in California, not Canada, not Toronto, Canada. I love Canada. Don't get me wrong, but um, yeah, it's warmer here, you know. Right. <laughs> yeah, you know. So they did that, and they made a home, and they tried the best they could. And while we were all very scarred by our childhood, my sisters and I, who I still have dinner with, we have forgiven those people, and uh, and that's what you got to do, man. You can't be angry at anybody, you know. You can't hate anybody, you know. No, it ends up hurting your, you if you the do. The right? it really does. People don't really understand that. Well, what do you mean it hurts you? It feels good sometimes to just get angry at somebody. Yeah, but you can't live your life like that, man. You can't incorporate that and make it part of your your being, you know, so yeah, I'd say that that's one of the great things that's happened to me in the last several years, 20 years. Well, I, I'd love to keep going, but I, I wanted yeah. to ask if you have, if you want to tell us where people can find all your different pursuits. <laughs> well, yeah, you can find me at philhenryshow.com. That's my website. And that's where my archive is like 60,000. People think I'm exaggerating, but we, we think it's around 60,000 hours of the radio and the digital stuff that we've done. It goes back all the way to Miami, 1994. So we're talking almost 30 years of material on the, on the website. And we still have more. I've got, by the way, here's my buddy, Dan Jackson. Danny, thank you. This is the thumb drive that Dan sent me of some of my shows from KFI, wow. early days of KFI radio that I have yet to upload to the site. So we have to get this uploaded, man. So new material's coming. New material, man, yeah. Uh, he has notes here. It's Phil, Dan Jackson Tapes, Volume 1 of 2. This is 1997 and 1998 KFI Archives. So wow, uh, we got more that we're loading in there. Um, and, and I announce whatever it is we're doing. You know, uh, my IMDb is you know, at IMDb. You can check out the stuff that I've done if you want to go and look at some of the reruns of that stuff. And we're always constantly on social media announcing the things that, that's coming up. Although I am kind of shy about that stuff. I did an episode of Grace and Frankie, which... Oh. was a personal a personal moment of pride for me because I was in a scene with Martin Sheen and Sam Waterston, and wow. it doesn't get any heavier than those two cats, in my opinion. No. And where a lot of actors would say, 
I just did a scene with Martin Sheen on Martin Grace. I, I kept my mouth shut about it, and I don't know why. I, I didn't want to sound like some lame ass. You know what I'm saying? So I just yeah. I just let it slide, man. Yeah. But, uh, you can't be too much of a fan, or you come off like I did today talking to you. You know what I mean? Well, I don't know. I, I, yeah, but I. I uh, we're all over the place, man. Like you said, the, this is forty and some other movies. Team America. We just posted about Team America because I think it's the thirtieth. No, the twenty-fifth anniversary. That, that sounds about of Team America. Okay. And so there was a big social media posting on that, which I reposted because um, I did a couple of voices on that in that movie, Intelligence and a, a Terrorist. Okay. Um, so follow us on Facebook, Phil Henry Fans, P H A N S. And spell your last name because some people spell it yeah. the wrong way. H-E-N as in Nancy, D as in David, R-I-E, Phil Hendry, fans, P-H-A-N-S. I'm also on X at Real Phil Hendry, although that place has just gotten really weird. Yeah. Uh, we're on Instagram, just Phil Hendry on Instagram. Well, Phil, thank you so much for coming on The Happiest Retirees Thank you, Ryan. And, and uh, let me just let everybody know, Ryan was so patient. I was late. I thought it was at 1 o'clock, and I was like a half hour late. And Thank you, brother, for uh, you know hanging in. You're well worth the wait, Phil. Oh, thanks, man. <laughs>